for a short time at least. We are still in the book of Ephesians, chapter 6. I am excited this morning as we uh, look to the idea of work. But as we do that, we have a problem. And it's a big problem for a lot of people. You see, in God's Word, there are things that the Bible doesn't directly speak to. Things that we, maybe, might wish that it did. Uh, maybe, maybe some of us, uh, we really struggle with uh, what kind of movie we should be able to watch or music that we should be able to listen to. God's Word doesn't specifically say, this is the way and that is not. Uh, there are things that are gray. Uh, today we're going to be talking about one of those things that is gray, but it is very difficult uh, because we wish that it was black and white. Uh, and we'll be talking about the idea of slavery. Uh, you know, as we look to this passage, we cannot go uh, and just say, well, let's talk about employment. We will, but we have to deal with the context. We have to deal with what Paul was writing specifically about in his time period. And so we must tackle that area of slavery. This is an issue, like I said, that many, including myself, I wish that we had a more clear representation of God's stance on slavery. Now, we do have it clearly laid out in Scripture, all right, but we have to read this portion with that portion, with this portion, with uh, how he deals with that person, and we take those together and we can come to an idea. I wish it was as simple as something that was uh, uh, like getting drunk. Well, the Bible's very clear. Do not get drunk with wine, right? Uh, laid out, black and white, all right? Slavery isn't that way. He doesn't say... Uh, you know, you shall not enslave people. All right, and and from what our terms of enslavement are. All right, he does lay out some biblical ideas, and we'll be tackling those things. But this is a big stumbling block for a lot of people on whether the Bible can be trusted or not, uh, because I think we would all agree that slavery is wrong. I don't think that there would be much debate in our church about that. Uh, but at this time period, we see Christians who Paul was writing to. Otherwise, why would we be writing about this, right? That had slaves. How do we deal with that? Uh, what, what, what do we do about those things? Does that disprove the Bible? I don't think so. And I think that we have a lot of evidence that we will be looking at this morning to show that God does have a clear stance on slavery. And while it might not be said in one specific verse in all detail about his stance, there are many things that we can take together and come to a conclusion about. So we'll be doing that this morning and then focusing in on how that relates to us. Because we aren't slaves, um, but we are employed. Uh, we have jobs. So how, how do we glorify God through our work? And so we'll be talking about that this morning. Let's read uh, Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 5. We'll read through verse 9, and then we will pray, and then we will study it together. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord 
whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters do the same to them, and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. Let's pray once more. Heavenly Father, we do again come before you asking for you to intercede. Uh, We ask that through your Holy Spirit, you would reveal the truth of your word to us. Uh, Lord, as we study this, this idea of slavery, and as we look to how it relates to us in employment and how we as Christians should work, uh, Lord, I pray that you would help us to grow. Uh, Lord, if there are things that we need to change in our own lives, in our, in our hearts about how we view work, how we view our employers, how we view uh, uh, even this idea of slavery, I pray that you would change our hearts this morning. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we must ask the question, right, what, who is he talking to? Uh, as I read from the ESV this morning, uh, the first word is bond servants. Uh, in your Bibles, I hope it's different. Uh, I do love the English Standard Version. I think it is very good on most things that it translates. Uh, you know, I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but I do know Greek, and I can study that and see that it relates well to the original text. Uh, but here is where some translations try to pretty up God's Word. They try to make things look a little bit more appealing. Because this word uh, that starts out this passage in verse 5, uh, ESV says bondservant. Maybe some of your versions do as well. I think NIV reads bondservant or some form of that. But the word is doulos, which means slave. It's, it's very specific. You know, he, this is not a servant who is getting paid a wage. Or at least not necessarily. He's talking about a slave. Someone who is owned by another. Right, that, that's what slavery is. It's, it, it is ownership of a human being. All right, That's how we understand slavery. But as we study this passage, uh, and uh, before we even get into the rest of the text, let us stop for a moment and, and see how God's Word understands slavery and how it talks about it. Like I said, uh, maybe some of us do wish that there was a specific verse that said in black and white that God hates slavery of any kind. All right, uh, But we don't have that. So we must study the breadth of Scripture to find out what the truth is about how God views it. Well, in the Bible, there are two forms of slavery. There is indentured servitude. Uh, that, that's on the back of your notes there. Indentured servants. What are those? Well, this is the selling of oneself, a voluntary thing. The selling of oneself in order to make a life for yourself. You see, in the Old Testament specifically, and even moving into the New Testament, uh, people had very specific jobs, right? You know, uh, and, and it was a lot fewer of opportunities than even there are today. Right? We, we have computers that opens up a whole new world of, of new employment that could be had. But at this time, really, there were only a few core basic jobs. Uh, you know, you, you were a carpenter. You were a, a builder with stone, some kind of builder, uh, you know, a, a person who cooked. You know, there, there were specific jobs, a butcher, 
things like that. All right? And here, some people couldn't fit into those jobs. Maybe they, they didn't have the, the, the parents that taught them the occupation, or they just didn't have the right training uh, for, for being good at that job, or maybe they had that job but had lost their business. There was no unemployment check. You know, that, that came in, that they had to file with CRA, and then they got money back from the government. There wasn't anything like that. So some people, in desperation, would sell their, uh, themselves as slaves uh, to, to people. And this was an indentured servitude, that they would go into this, and there were specific time frames. Right? Even in Deuteronomy 15, uh, God lays out the, the path of a way out for Hebrews in this kind of slavery. He says that uh, a Hebrew slave, if you own a Hebrew slave, you work him hard for six years, and on that seventh year, he is released. He is free from you. So there, there was a cap of how much time a Hebrew slave could be in, in this kind of servitude. All right, uh, the, It's very specific. But that's not really what we uh, think of slavery, right? That's not today what slavery is. It's not the selling of oneself, maybe in some cases, but generally when we talk about slavery, we're talking about something else. We're talking about what the Bible calls man-stealing. Uh, and that, that's in your notes there as well, man-stealing. Uh, this is forced servitude. This is uh, someone by force with a weapon or something taking a person and throwing them into slavery. You might think of famous cases in the Bible, like Joseph. You know, he's at the bottom of the well, unable to get out, and his brothers, what do they do? Well, let's make a profit off this guy, and let's sell him into slavery. That's man-stealing. That's taking someone against their will and forcing them into this life. Uh, the Bible is very clear about this form of slavery, uh, that it is sin, man-stealing, is sin. We see this in Exodus 21, verse 6. Uh, let's turn there quickly. Exodus chapter 21. Then his master shall bring to him God, and he shall bring to him to the door of the doorpost, and his master shall bore his ear through with an awl, and he shall be his slave forever. He goes on to talk about uh, a man selling his daughter as a slave. Uh, uh, goes on even to talk here about this form of slavery. Uh, Exodus 21 is all about different forms of slavery. And in this passage, he talks about how the idea of man-stealing, of taking someone against their will, forcing them into that life, is sin. We also see this clearly in 1 Timothy 1, uh, that we see it in a list of here's this sin, here's this sin. There's drunkenness, there's uh, sexual immorality. And in the midst of this, of uh, talking about people who are characterized by sin, he says, enslavers. These are those who would go against people's will and force them into the life of slavery, into the life of servitude of another, to be owned by another human being. Yes, this form of slavery is sin. And that is the majority of what we see in the world, right? Uh, even, um, you know, I, I spent a couple months 
in, uh, in the South. And you, you might not think, oh, well, it's been, you know, it's been a hundred and some odd years, right, since the Civil War. Not a big deal, uh, you know, anymore. Um, but this idea of slavery is still uh, being debated uh, between Christians. Uh, it, it is still uh, an, an issue, a thorn in their side, if you will. And the Bible is very clear that that form of slavery, of people in Africa being rounded up, put into the, uh, the, the belly of some boats and sent across the sea and, and forced into this lifestyle, being chained up, being uh, mistreated, that's sin. What is happening around the world, even today, I, I forget the number, but at the last Super Bowl, there was a large amount of people who were stopped. Uh, law enforcement stepping in and uh, putting people in jail, uh, in jail for trying to sell human beings there at that big sports event. It's happening today. Slavery is happening. That form of forced servitude is sinful. God's word is clear. Uh, why is that sinful, you might ask? Well, it's as simple as going back to Genesis. When God talked to himself within the Trinity and uh, said, we are going to create man, how did he do it? Let us make man in our image. Why is it okay to sell animals, plants, God's creation? And why is it different to... Uh, to force a human being uh, into slavery or to sell a human being, to own a human being. Why is that wrong? Because we bear the image of God. He created us in his image. What that means is that we are endowed with similar attributes of our God. Why do we create? Why do we enjoy art? Why is there beauty in the world through our eyes? Does a dog look at uh, a painting and say that's beautiful? No, they can't understand. Why can we? The image of God. Our God is a creative God, thus we are. Why do we seek justice? Why does even the idea of slavery disgust us? Because we have in ourselves the image of God, and our God is a just God. And so we have those similar Attributes, Not in the same way, but uh, similar in that we have those things directly from God. That's what separates us. That's why God says that that form of slavery, man-stealing, enslavement, which is the majority of what we would say in the world is slavery today, that is why it's sinful. So the question then becomes, all right, if it is, why is God silent? Why doesn't he come out and end this thing? Well, he's not silent. He's actually quite vocal about it. First, we need to understand that slavery is never, never promoted in Scripture. God never says to anyone, take a slave and do this. All right, it, it's, it's similar to Abraham and him taking a second wife. That was never God's will for him to just do that. 
It doesn't say take a second wife and do this. That's man's sin coming out and uh, bearing fruit in the form uh, of, uh, of having this second wife. It's similar here with slavery. Uh, it was never God's intention. Uh, you know, it was never the, the perfect will of God in that, you know, in the garden there would be slavery. No. It is never promoted. And even in that, uh, God gives uh, equality to slaves. He does it through the proper treatment of slaves in the Bible. Uh, we see this in Deuteronomy 15. Again, uh, uh, going through that entire chapter, he goes through the proper treatment uh, of those who were indentured servants, all right, uh, who were in that form of slavery. But also in Colossians chapter 4, verse 1, a very similar passage to what we have here in Ephesians 6. Uh, and he goes through that they should treat them kindly and justly. The master should treat their slaves kindly and justly. All right? God is very clear on how to treat a human being. All right? Also, we see elevation of slaves. I mean, look at Hagar in the Old Testament. You know, the she she is out in the desert and God comes to her, the slave and she now calls him the God who sees me. And he elevates her and says, you too, uh, I will give a blessing to you and you will have a nation after you. Don't worry, I will take care of you. There's elevation there. All right. There's also a radical paradigm shift in the form of Onesimus. If you were to look in uh, the one of the shorter books in the New Testament, Philemon, you would see Onesimus is a runaway slave. Um, we've, we've talked about him a little bit. All right, but he, he's a runaway slave who comes back after being saved. Uh, he was uh, in somehow, he, he was in uh, communication with Paul, got saved, and Paul sends him back to his former master. And he says in uh, Philemon 1 verse 6 that you are not to take him back as just a slave, but as a brother. That's a radical idea. That is saying that you are on equal standing. That's a paradigm shift. At the same time, we do not see God saving people and saying you are no longer a slave. He doesn't cancel that out. All right? This shows us, uh, the Bible's uh, views of slavery show us two important things about the gospel. This is in your notes as well. The gospel is not about earthly politics. The gospel is about spiritual revolution. It's not about earthly politics. It's not about uh, the, the caste systems that even we face even today. Uh, of uh, low income, you know, middle income, those kinds of things. It's not about... Uh, where we, we where we find ourselves politically. That's not what the gospel is about. The gospel is about changing your heart. Uh, that, that's why even the second thing that we find out about the gospel in view of slavery is that the gospel may not change your circumstances. Uh, but it will change your heart. All right? It may not change your circumstances. Where you are at in life. Uh, when you receive the gospel, there might not be an immediate change. Uh, for those who get saved in jail, 
when, when they get saved, it doesn't mean that, you know, they're going to get out of jail and they're going to have a great successful life as we hear uh, on TV even preached. Right? It doesn't mean that when you get saved, all of a sudden your life is just going to go great and you're going to be financially wealthy, you'll be healthy. Right? Joel Osteen preaches this, right? One of the most famous guys. If you were to go over to Kennedy's Parables, you see his smiling face. Right? It's a good face. Bad book. <laughs> Alright? It's bad theology. Because the gospel is not about your earthly circumstances. I mean, it's why he says in Philippians, where is your citizenship? It's in heaven. It's not about here. Some people over in BC last week got things a little mixed up. Uh, with uh, thinking about Franklin Graham coming and they didn't want him to come and preach the gospel because of his politics. What they did was that they were seeing the gospel as both politics and about spiritual revolution. That's not true. That is how the Bible views slavery. The, the forms that we see it today, man-stealing, that is clearly said to be sin. Um, but at the same time, uh, it shows us that the gospel is not about earthly politics. It's not about here and now. It's about your heart. I mean, that, that's, that's why the disciples got things so wrong, right? Uh, even in, in Acts, after Jesus you know, rose from the dead and he's shown himself to them and they put the fingers in, his, uh, in, in, in the holes in his hands and, and everything, even then, is this when you're going to bring your kingdom? They didn't get it. It's spiritual. And that's what we need to learn today. The gospel is not about here and now. It will affect you, obviously. It will affect your life. But it will not change every aspect for you. There are things that you will have to go through. Hard times, like these slaves, will have to go through. You know, even though it was a little different, this uh, we don't know how these slaves got into their circumstances. It could have been man-stealing. Right? But we know that they're there now, that they are slaves. And they're to uh, being told there that they need to be faithful. Right? We need to be as well, wherever we find ourselves. And we'll learn that this morning as well. So, slaves, in the context of Scripture here. Uh, slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and Trembling. The main idea that he is going to tell slaves is to think big. Think big. All right, he says, obey your earthly masters. Again, this is just like what we talked about with children and parents. This is a superior telling an inferior all right, that you are to respect what I say, to do it, to follow through with it. Obey your masters. Again, uh, he doesn't say that your life is changed now because of the gospel. That you do not have to obey your masters anymore. He doesn't say that. Uh, this is not the prosperity gospel. Salvation does not equal deliverance from everything. It's spiritual deliverance. So, question for us this morning. Do we have any slaves here? No. Maybe, maybe to sin in some ways. Right, but no, we, we're not slaves. We are employed. At least most of us, right? We have jobs. We have things that we have to do to, for our employers. So this morning as we go through this passage, we're going to take the truth 
that he is talking specifically to slaves and masters, and we're going to make application of it this morning, that we're going to talk about the relationship between employees and employers, all right? because that's what we have today, and all of God's word is profitable, right? All of God's word is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, so that you, the man of God, may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. That is what God's word is for. So we will apply it to what we have today with our employment. All right, so if you take it that way, employees, obey your employers with fear and trembling. So we see the attitude that you are supposed to have in your work, fear and trembling. Again, uh, we're talking about slaves, so it's a little bit different for us. All right, but the main idea there is respect. Uh, we've talked about this before. Um, I, you know, you you felt it when you were young, uh, with your dad, with your mom, uh, that you respected them, that you knew that if you get out of line, there are going to be consequences for what you do, and how you act, and how you act in relationship to them. All right, they were the authority over you, and in your workplace, your employer is the authority over you. So you respect them. Uh, we also see that there's sincerity. All right, he says, with fear and trembling and with a sincere heart. Uh, the idea here is a complete heart, 100%. That you are supposed to obey your employers with 100% of your heart. Uh, not cutting corners, not doing it just because, you know, boss is around but because it's your heart's desire that you want to do well by your boss, that you see them as the authority, and that you see that God has put them in your life for a reason. And so you obey your employer. Even when you're angry. Even when you're angry at your boss. Sometimes, you know, we get into those circumstances where your boss does something that's just dumb. You know, not, not wrong, I'm not saying sinful, but just they make a mistake. And who's the one who has to clean up after it? It's you. Obey your boss. It's as simple as that. With a sincere heart. I think this speaks to diligence and quality. That you keep with it. That uh, you do your best. You work your heart out. Alright, and just in case we forgot that idea of thinking big... All right, with a sincere heart, as how? As you would Christ. Whoa. There he goes again. Right, we saw it with uh, marriages. That we saw Christ is the standard of marriage. That wives submit to their husbands as the church submits to Christ. All right, and we saw that husbands love your wife as Christ loved the church. We saw parents, right? children, they're supposed to obey their parents in the Lord. And parents are supposed to raise up their child in the Lord. We see that Christ is the standard for every aspect of our life. Whether it's outside the home, in the home, within our marriages, within our parenting structures, and then even here in the workplace. Obey your boss like you would obey Christ. 
He's really saying, think big. Have an eternal perspective. Your true employer is Jesus. Work for Him by working for that physical employer. This takes out every excuse that we have. You know, of... uh, I don't like that idea that my boss has. I don't like how he's doing this. I don't think it's uh, a proper, efficient way to do it. Obey him. Obey them. I mean, we're talking about slaves here, so you have it easy. You're not owned by that employer. When you go home, that employer doesn't have to you know, follow you home or uh, anything like that. You're completely separate. We have no excuses. We are to obey our bosses. As Christ, and if you think you have it hard, uh, all of you are my boss, so it's I have it even harder. <laughs> all right, and he says, not with eye service. All right, we have no excuses. We're supposed to obey our bosses uh, with a sincere heart and not with eye service. Um, you know, the eye is only when you can uh, when you can be seen, right? It's when your boss is around that you work. And then when they're not around, what are you going to do? Well, get the get the phone out and you know check my other things, or I'll just sit back and relax. Uh, boss took a sick day today, so everyone gets to you know take it easy. It's it's about not going through the motions, not just going through the motions or cutting corners. A Christian is supposed to work not with eye service. And not as people pleasers or men pleasers, your Bible might say. The idea there is hypocrites. Hypocrites who who say all the things that you want to hear when you're around. And then do and say totally opposite things later. We're not just supposed to be people pleasers, hypocrites or fakes. Where there's all talk and there's no work. Uh, and especially when the boss is gone. Why? Why, why can't we do that? Well, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as slaves of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. Why can we not do that? Because it is the will of God. It is the will of God. He put you there in that workplace under that employer for a reason. His will then is that you be faithful. His will is that you be faithful where you are at. That's what we are called to do as Christians in our workplaces. Uh, The will of God is for you to be faithful where you are at. That's number four there on the back of your bulletins. So, how do we do that? Well, he says, uh, from the heart. From the heart, with the whole heart. It goes back to that idea of sincerity. Understanding the big idea of you working for Jesus. So that's the attitude that we're supposed to have in our work. All right, But what about the behavior? The follow-through of that? Well, he says, verse 7, Rendering service, which means doing your job. Rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to men. All right, so you do your job with goodwill. This is cheerfulness. It's joy. 
It's not being that guy who hates his job. Have you ever hated your job? Ask my wife. Uh, I, I, I probably remind her once a week, I am so thankful that I do not work for the post office anymore. Uh, I hated that job. There, there were so many things that were wrong with that job. Uh, you know, the work schedule of working nights, not being able to tuck my boys into bed or read them, uh, their Bible story. I remember sitting in the car on my lunch break and being, man, I hate this job. You know, and maybe some of you feel that way about your job. It's wrong. We are to be cheerful. We are to be glad to have a way to provide for our families. Because we see it as God's sovereign will for us to have that job. It's seeing the big idea. Now, this doesn't mean that we're complacent. Because we could take that and say, well, all right, well, I have to stay at my job because it's the will of God. And even though I hate it here, that I cannot move to another job. No. If you really feel like this is there's another opportunity that you are supposed to go after and you have peace and comfort, that that is God's will for you, it doesn't mean that you're complacent, but it does mean that you're content. That if you get that other job, you're going to be cheerful where you are at. You are going to work toward your boss with goodwill, with joy. And why? Because you have that eternal perspective. And that's really what verse 8 says. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or he is free. Do you understand that you're working for Jesus? Yeah, you might have a boss that you do not like, that you do not get along with. But you are to work cheerfully because you work for Jesus ultimately. All right, well, maybe, maybe you are the boss. Right, that, that's how employers are supposed to be, or employees are supposed to be with their attitude and behavior. All right, but maybe you're the boss. How are you to act? Well, he says, verse 9, Masters, do the same to them. Do the same to the slaves. Uh, what, what is he talking about? He's talking about verses 7 and 8, about doing your job. Doing your job with a good will, ask of the Lord not to men. Knowing that whatever good anyone does this, he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or he is free. That's what he's talking about. So employers, Christian employers, are to do their job of uh, overseeing, uh, of managing, of making sure that everyone's getting their jobs done right and properly in a way that is beneficial for the group with a cheerful heart. Uh, with love. Uh, and that, that's why he says the next part here. Masters do the same to them and stop your threatening. This is an important principle for any Christian leader. Christians do not lead by fear or intimidation. Um, maybe, maybe you've been that guy or gal all right, who... who is just in trying to intimidate those who are under them. No. You are to work with a cheerful heart. You are to do your service of them, of managing what they are doing, with a cheerful heart, because you're working for Jesus. You have no right to get ticked off, uh, to treat people poorly. Because as we're going to see, 
yeah, they might be under you for work, but their soul, they're on the same level. Christians do not lead by fear or intimidation. And, that, and then he gets into the heart of this idea, the dynamic between slaves and masters. And I, I think the application exists there for employees and employers. He says, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven. All right. Here we see the radical spiritual equality of slaves and masters. That you are a slave to. All right, who, who are you a slave to? Well, Jesus. He who is both their master and yours. God is your master. You serve God. Jesus is the one who you are enslaved to. It's why Paul says over and over and over and over again, I, Paul, the slave of Jesus Christ. You are a slave to him. Not to man. Not, not, not necessarily to your employer, or you have an obligation to them, as we've seen. All right, but your real, your real slavery is to Jesus, and He's a good master. He will take care of you. He will love you. He will not threaten. He will not intimidate. He will not mistreat. But you are his slave. So that, that brings the master down a peg. All right, you are not God. You, too, are a slave. And you have the same master as those slaves. It's not like you're working for someone who's higher than, than their guy. Right? Well, yeah, I'm a slave, but I work for someone way better. No. You're the same. You have the same uh, master as those other slaves. There's equal standing here. And lastly, that God shows no favorites. He says that there is no partiality with him. There's, there's no one that God looks at and says, you know, I, I like... I like Dale, but he's no Charles Spurgeon. No, he doesn't do that. He doesn't look and uh, judges us and says, this person I love more than that person. No, equal standing. There's no favorites with God. There's no partiality. And while slaves might have felt like that they were definitely, you know, that there is favoritism there. All right, masters need to understand and employers need to understand that there is equal standing in that relationship. Um, you know, the, the employee is no better than the employer and the master spiritually is no better than the slave because you serve the same master and that master shows no partiality. And we see this clearly in Galatians 3, Right? For there is neither Jew nor Greek, barbarian, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female in the gospel. We're all the same. 
And we all have a role to do, right? A job to do. And we find ourselves here on this planet and we have jobs. So what do we do? Well, we work for Jesus. And you work just like you were working for Jesus. How do you think he would act or think with how you work right now? Something to think about. The gospel is about spiritual revolution. Christians, then, are to think big and see their work as a way to glorify God. And we can only do that when we have the proper attitude, just as he laid out for us, and the proper behavior in our work. And employers must be humble and see their position as a way to glorify God as a fellow servant of Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word this morning. We thank you for the practical um, message that it has for us. Lord, we thank you that you are a God who does not love slavery, uh, that does not endorse slavery, uh, but that you see it um, uh, through the lens of the gospel. Lord, I pray that we would as well, that we would understand that the gospel is not about earthly politics. It's not about what we go through here, what our positions in life, but it is about the heart. Uh, Lord, I, I pray that you would help us to be faithful in our workplaces, uh, that we would not just be Christians in work, but that we would work like Christians. Uh, Lord, that we would see our jobs and how we treat our employees and fellow employees and, and our employers, that we would treat them in a way that best represents you. That we would work for Jesus. That we would see the big picture and that we would be humble. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would help us to do that even this week. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.